Taiwan's first shipment of Pfizer vaccines will arrive in the early hours of Thursday. That's according to Health Minister Chen Shizhong, who said that the flight carrying the vaccines has already departed. The health chief will be on the tarmac to receive the cargo. The private companies and groups that paid for Taiwan's Pfizer vaccines will also send their own representatives to the airport. TSMC and the Yongling Foundation will send Sophie Chang, the wife of TSMC founder Morris Chang. Ciji Foundation will send its CEO, Yan Bo-wen. This incoming shipment contains about 900,000 vaccines. The CECC said the shots will be ready to use as early as mid-September after the required inspection. They will first be administered at schools to students aged 12 to 17. Any remaining doses will be offered to adults aged 18 to 22 who are already on the wait list for Pfizer. A second batch of 900,000 Pfizer vaccines is expected to arrive next week. DPP lawmakers are accusing local governments led by the KMT of nepotism when choosing who to vaccinate. At a Wednesday press briefing, ruling party lawmakers said four KMT administrations vaccinated a disproportionate number of top government officials who oversee disease prevention operations. This graphic on social media lays down the charge. The KMT exploited the privilege of Taiwan's second priority group to get lower-risk people vaccinated. The worst offender was Zhanghua County, followed by Yunlin County, Nantou County, and then Jiayi City, all of them KMT-held governments. On Wednesday, DPP lawmakers blasted the opposition party for nepotism. Jiayi County reported about 150 names for vaccination. We have twice the population of Jai City and yet registered fewer than 150 people for vaccination. Jai City registered more than 3,800 people. The KMT is truly incredible. It's incredible at dispensing favors. According to the social media account Spectator of Taiwan, the local government that registered the most officials was Zhanghua County with 8,238. Yunling came second with 5,499. Nanto registered 4,710 and Jai City registered 3,842. These four administrative areas accounted for nearly 78% of all local officials in Priority Group 2. Also on Wednesday, a Taipei councillor disputed claims that the central government itself was exploiting the privilege of Priority Group 2. On social media, Taipei City Councillor Lin Yingmeng said the central government reported just 5.6% of all officials in Priority Group 2. Local governments reported about 94% of the total. They themselves are throwing favors left and right. Then they turn around and throw that accusation at the DPP to attack Chen Shizhong CECC. The so-called Fighting Blue Camp's first campaign is a boomerang that's turned around to hit its own people. The DPP is trying to shirk responsibility for the vaccine shortage. Deciding who gets vaccines based on the interests of the next election is a standard attempt to shift the blame to the opposition party. According to CECC data released Tuesday, the central government registered just 1,710 officials for vaccination. Local governments registered 28,794. The CECC said that some local governments registered more than others due to their differing criteria for a top official involved in disease prevention. Taiwan reported just one local case on Wednesday. 
It involves a woman in her 60s who tested COVID positive just before being released from isolation. Because she had been in isolation, the woman has no close contacts. Also on Wednesday, the CECC said minor adjustments to COVID restrictions will be made on September 7th. For instance, sports centers will be allowed to reopen their shower facilities. But the CECC plans to tighten border controls to keep out the Delta virus strain. It announced that for the first time, a fully vaccinated pilot had tested positive for Delta in Taiwan. Starting midnight on September 15th, fully vaccinated crew of long-haul flights will be required to self-isolate for five days. Previously, fully vaccinated crew only needed to complete seven days of enhanced self-health management. As Vietnam grapples with the Delta variant, tough controls are going up at its factories. A major Taiwan-invested steel corporation has imposed movement restrictions on its workers who are now required to live at company dormitories. The firm says the movement restrictions are meant to keep the epidemic from worsening as less than half of its employees have been vaccinated. Vietnam's COVID outbreak is worsening, fueled by the high transmissibility of the Delta variant. Since mid-August, Vietnam has had more than 10,000 new cases every day. To keep factories running and to curb viral spread, the government of Ho Chi Minh City is requiring all factory workers to eat, sleep and live at their work site. Businesses that can't implement such a plan must provide transport between workers' residences and the work venue, with no stops in between. If you want to maintain production, if you want to keep working, there is a rule known as the three on the spot. Eating, drinking and sleeping must all happen at the factory. The businesses are the ones that have to make the arrangements. Meanwhile, in Hatin province, the Formosa Hatin Steel Corporation is preemptively enforcing movement restrictions. It's requiring workers to live in dorms to seal off the factory from the outside. Workers have complained about their loss of freedom, saying the epidemic in their province had not yet reached the level at Ho Chi Minh City. A company representative said the measures are meant to prevent the epidemic from worsening. As per government regulations, employees at the factory are allowed to return home for one day after six days of work. They may also apply to leave the premises when the need arises. We're extremely worried. Everyone's afraid of getting infected. The government of Vietnam doesn't want to stop the economy. It's prioritizing vaccinations for firms that have implemented the three-on-the-spot model. Formosa Hatin Steel Corporation accounts for 13 to 17 percent of Vietnam's GDP and has generated more than 10,000 local jobs. It currently employs 7,000 people people, of which 3,000 have been vaccinated. The Legislative Yuan has opened for a new session with the pandemic at the top of the agenda. The DPP caucus said it would push for more relief subsidies and more spending vouchers to support the COVID-stricken economy. Meanwhile, the KMT caucus said it would hold the Executive Yuan accountable for Taiwan's 800 COVID deaths. The KMT also said it would boycott the Premier's first report at the Legislative Yuan. The Legislative Yuan is back in session. The first to report for duty was DPP lawmaker Chen Opo, who turned up at 6.40 in the morning. DPP Whip Ke Jianming arrived later with this new caucus in tow. 
In the coming session, the DPP caucus plans to push COVID relief and stimulus programs. It will work to expand support for businesses that remain closed or restricted due to COVID. They are all part of the tourism industry. Extra support should go not just to accommodation providers. Say that I rent a motorbike, that could be included. Say that I board a ship, that could be included too. After all, all these businesses are part of the tourism industry. As for the stimulus programs, the DPP caucus took inventory of all vouchers to be distributed by government ministries. It said that there were too few vouchers to produce a broad stimulus effect. For example, last year, the Council of Agriculture issued 5 million vouchers worth 250 NT each. This time around, the vouchers will be worth more, but fewer people will be able to receive one. Eight hundred and eighty-8 NT sounds really nice, but by making the vouchers more valuable, you're issuing fewer of them. If you run the numbers, a budget of 1.29 billion NT means you can issue 1.46 million vouchers. That's just about one-third of the quantity issued last year. With fewer vouchers, the stimulus effect shrinks, and there will be fewer people who can participate in the agriculture voucher program. Although the face value of the vouchers is higher this time, is there room to make adjustments so that more vouchers are issued? The government's 2022 budget plan and its COVID budget are on the agenda in the new legislative session. KMT Whip Alex Fay says his party aims to hold the executive yuan accountable for Taiwan's 800 COVID deaths. The KMT plans to boycott the Premier's opening report. DPP lawmaker Tsenting Fei said the tactic would backfire. It's opposition for opposition's sake. We don't think that this method will win support from the public. If they boycott and stall budget review, all that does is obstruct development at the local level. I think the general public expects us to confront Premier Su Zhenchang head-on. The Taiwan People's Party does not support boycotts of political debates. The Taiwan People's Party condemned the KMT and said it would take up the mantle of Taiwan's strongest opposition party. It's only day one, but already the session is shaping up to be a heated one. France and Australia have released a joint statement underscoring the importance of peace and stability in the Taiwan Strait. It was released Monday after the two nations' first ever two-plus-two ministerial consultations, which were attended by their foreign and defense ministers. The two sides agreed on closer maritime cooperation in the Indo-Pacific. They also expressed support for Taiwan's meaningful participation in the international organizations. In response, Taiwan's foreign ministry said it would continue working closely with the two nations. The meeting was conducted via teleconference. We saw that in the joint statement that France and Australia released after the talks, they highlighted the importance of peace and stability in the Taiwan Strait. They also said they encouraged the peaceful resolution of cross-strait issues and supported Taiwan's meaningful participation in international organizations. The joint statement shows that there is a high degree of consensus among democracies over maintaining peace and stability in the Taiwan Strait. It also shows that peace and stability in the Taiwan Strait is an indispensable part of maintaining a free and open Indo-Pacific. Taiwan will continue working closely with like-minded countries including France and Australia. France and Australia are the latest countries to issue statements emphasizing the importance of peace in the Taiwan Strait. 
The U.S. and Japan released one in April after a summit between the two countries president. The group of seven nations also highlighted the importance of peace after its foreign and development ministers meeting in May. In every case, the statements also expressed concerns over human rights abuses in Xinjiang and about the erosion of Hong Kong's autonomy. America's de facto embassy in Taiwan has been under the leadership of new director Sandra Otkirk for just over one month. So what is Otkirk's style? Well, so far, her priority seems to be meeting and greeting as many of Taiwan's top officials as she possibly can. Political scientists say her appointment may represent a bolstering of Taiwan-U.S. ties. AIT Director Sandra Otkirk and Culture Minister Li Yongde signed an MOU on a grant plan for cultural creatives and artists. The aim is to foster Taiwan-U.S. bilateral friendship through increased cultural exchange. This is a concrete expression of the profound friendship between Taiwan and the U.S. These exchanges will not only deepen our mutual friendship, they will also ensure that Taiwan and U.S. cultural exchange continues to flourish. Since Otkirk took up her post on July 27th, she has conducted a whirlwind round of meetings with Taiwan's top politicians, from President Tsai Ing-wen and Vice President Lai Qingde to Foreign Minister Joseph Wu, Premier Su Zhenchang, Legislative Speaker Yu Shikun, Mainland Affairs Council Chair Chiu Tai-san, and Health Minister Chen Shizhong. She's also met many municipal mayors and local politicians. At Taipei City Hall, she met Taipei Mayor Ke Wenzhe, receiving the gift of a Bravo Bear mascot. New Taipei Mayor Ho Yi confirmed he had also met her to discuss the pandemic, expressing a wish for further collaboration. New Taipei has had a long-term, deep friendship with all the directors and partners of the AIT. Political science professor Shen Yuzhong told us the AIT has consistently deepened its contacts with Taiwanese society in recent years. Otkirk's career background suggests further consolidation of the Taiwan-U.S. relationship, he says. She is a very seasoned diplomat with over 30 years' experience. Furthermore, her area of expertise is cross-strait relations and the Asia-Pacific region. So that also highlights the fact that the U.S. sees Taiwan as a very important partner in its Indo-Pacific strategic position. So I believe that although the AIT is a private organization, in reality it functions as an official body. It can also be a platform through which Taiwan can collaborate with other nations. All eyes are watching to see what developments will unfold at AIT while Otkirk is at the helm. Olympic athletes hit the red carpet on Wednesday during a reception at the presidential office. They were welcomed by the president, vice president and the premier who thanked them for their strong showing in Tokyo. The athletes finished the games with two gold, four silvers and six bronzes, posting Taiwan's best performance yet at any Olympics. Swim sensation Eddie Wang lifts up his shirt, showing off his abs and biceps of steel, thrilling the audience before the camera. This summer in Tokyo, Taiwan pulled off its best Olympic showing to date. Instead of going on the usual celebratory parade, the athletes hit the red carpet at the presidential office. Their reception was live-streamed for the public to watch. When we lost our first game, I was really sad. I thought, this is our first time representing Taiwan in the Olympics, and we've already lost. It felt as if all the effort we had made for Taiwan for the men's doubles event had been in vain. 
but then we thought we should just do our best in the remaining games. Show everyone our best side. I told him, we still have two games, let's give it our all. Just for the occasion, I wore these new earrings today, smiling earrings. After strutting the red carpet, the athletes were welcomed into the presidential office by the honor guard. Inside, it was a lively scene complete with photo backdrops, interactive installations and a DJ. President Tsai Ing-wen, Vice President Lai Ching-de and Premier Su Zhen-chang spoke at the reception. As we head toward Paris 2024, Operation Gold will continue. The National Sports Training Center will be upgraded further and our support for athletes and their teams will only increase. I would also like to say that the government will absolutely support you young athletes as you strive for a stellar performance at various sporting events. We will provide all forms of support, not just for Paris 2024, but for every single competition. Keep it up, may you help Taiwan shine. Top officials thanked the athletes and conveyed their good wishes. They said the government was the strongest supporter of Taiwan sports. At the end of the event, athletes, coaches, sports staff and government officials posed for a photo with a gigantic national flag to commemorate Team Taiwan's achievements. The badminton duo who triumphed in Tokyo this summer has lent its Midas touch to the Central Epidemic Control Center. A new video compares the shot that won the duo gold to the public health drive to contain COVID. Now fans are clamoring for Li Yang and Wang Xiling to visit the CECC in person, and they have an ally in a very high position. Li Yang and Wang Qilin are the golden badminton duo who triumphed in Tokyo. This time at the Olympics, he told me, go all out, I've got your back. We faced everything together. It doesn't feel like fighting a battle single-handed. It's the same with the pandemic. Now, rather than sharing reflections on Tokyo, they're banging the drum for public health. The CECC asked the two to film this video where they recreate that final shot that landed just on the line. The high production values of the film has won fans. Now, viewers want to see Wang and Lee visit the CECC in person. I'd love that too. Maybe if you clamor a bit louder, they will come. And after that, there might be others coming out as well, bit by bit. This is not the first time the CECC has sought out athletes as spokespeople. Table tennisar Jiang Hongjie appeared in a promotional video for the CECC. Now, Health Minister Chen Shizhong hopes the stars of the summer will bring the Midas touch to public health. During the Tokyo Olympics, gymnast Tang Jiahong had placed seventh in the men's all-around final. That's the best placement for any Taiwanese gymnast in the event. We spoke to Tang to find out more about how he uses sports science to optimize his training, as well as how he feels about the upcoming shakeup of gymnastics scoring system. 
Hang Jia Hong revolves in the air and makes a perfect dismount from the high bar. The Olympian returned from Tokyo with a commendable seventh in the men's all-around artistic gymnastics. It's the highest Taiwan has ever placed in the category. Tang trains with sports scientists at NTNU. These little black devices are inertial measurement units, or IMUs. They provide data about every move he performs, analyzing stats like centrifugal force, rotational speed, and acceleration, and working out the exact components of a perfect dismount. My teacher gives me the data very straight, the differences between each try. We can use that to work out what felt different each time, like how it feels in my body. In 2019, only 30% of Jia Hong's dismounts were executed perfectly. But after working with it like this, we've brought that up to 70%. So from Jia Hong's performance, we can see what moves are created through the perfect marriage of practical training and sports science. Training is no longer just about putting in the hours. Strategy is vital. For athletes, the fluidity, rotation, and angle of each move is important. And with sports science, you can work out the precise tweaks needed to optimize your training. We also want to know the rotational speed he's got before he lands, so we can perfect the preparation for the dismount. We can monitor his movements using smart sensors. I want to get in the rhythm and the system of the new rules as fast as possible, because the new rules will apply next year at the Universiade and Asian Games and at the Paris Olympics in 2024. Soon, a new gymnastic scoring system will shake up the details of training and usher in another round of contests leading up to Paris. But before starting a new training regimen, Tang says he'll take a break to unwind from the thrills of Tokyo.